0: Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do But what about the townhays who spent their whole lives Long-stepping footfalls and catching sad flies They're guys, Remember 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 that guy 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 just gonna remember some guys now intentional grounding offense number seven that's a 10-yard penalty I- i'm talking to america here excuse me it's a 10-yard penalty and a loss of a down it'll be remember that guy the show where we minor our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present hey there folks it's me one of your hosts james i myself am ready to talk to america
1: diaz back once again i'm not quite ready so i'll let you speak to america james but I'm more than happy to speak with you. And there is one more person that I'm very excited to speak with today. The person who so rudely interrupted that conversation with America, but he's here to explain himself now. Please introduce yourself.
2: Sorry, I was looking for the bathroom and, you know, I just opened the wrong door and I saw a person there and that was the first thing I could ask. I do apologize for that interruption. It is me, the very special guest, Xavier.
0: I'm shocked you didn't just take the chance to put yourself in the shoes of New York Jets legend Geno Smith there, buddy. Whenever I think of Geno now, I just think of, oh my God, and throw (laughs) Aaron Donald, Donald, (laughs) which is the only reasonable response to seeing Aaron Donald coming at you.
1: When I was the scout team quarterback for varsity, there was one play where like the center was kind of like the team clown. And our star linebacker said to him, unbeknownst to me after one play, he's like, hey, just duck down on the next snap. So I get in my uh, stance. I'm doing my kids, Go, Black 27, Black 27. Hut, oh, shit. And our star 6'3", 240 linebacker is flying through the air to just land on top of me. Um, so I feel you, Gino. I really do.
0: Xavier, I'm actually curious, what is the opinion of the Jets' diaspora on Geno Smith nowadays? Are you guys mostly, like, happy for him to have gotten a shot?
2: I mean, I'm happy for him to have gotten a shot, but I also own him in Dynasty Football. So, you know, it, that helps me very much. So I am a biased, selfish party. But this thing, Geno's time with the Jets was really weird. Most people were on the side of Polly when Geno got punched in the face. Gino was a very... I'm trying to think of, People thought Gino was arrogant for the Jets and hadn't done anything to deserve that. Like, him thinking that that highly of himself. But it seems like he's matured a lot and it took him a while to get where he's at, so I, I've got no you know hard feelings
1: for Gino. He's not Christian Hackenberg. So what you're saying is all we need for the Jets to turn this season around is for Sauce Gardner to beat the shit out of Zach Wilson. That's all we need i you know i can no, think of some problems no, it, 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 would then wait,
2: it would then wait 10 years before zach is good so don't well, think I, you gotta get now. a jump on it
1: now every day that you don't beat the shit out of zach wilson is one more day that he won't eventually be good
0: there was um there was someone i read this week who was listing like all of the potential free agent quarterbacks better than zach wilson and yeah as, as a bit they list joe flacco last beat okay even i couldn't say that seriously no Look, I think Joe Flacco's a better option right now. Have you seen the Jets' offensive line? Yeah. Joe yeah. Flacco
2: can't move. No, he would break that. No, he, he, he would break both his legs on the first snap and look like the guy from the intro to Robocop.
0: God, such a fucking good movie.
2: He would not exist anymore. Like, if, if Micah
0: Parsons was there, Joe Flacco would have literally been sheared in half. Well... Joe Flacco's not making memories for you, Xavier. Gino Smith's no longer making memories for you, at least not in the real world. May I ask what it is that does make a memory for you nowadays?
2: Yes. Real quick, I want to say quick update to the Spanish women's national team. Despite the team saying we're not going to respond to any call-ups, the Spanish Federation did call up a majority of the women from the World Cup winning squad, and... There was a lot of confusion because technically Spanish law is such that if you turn down a request from your national team, they can remove your professional license for years and essentially ban you from being able to play that sport professionally. And so the women came, uh, showed up, but they also demanded that they you know, have conversations with the RFEF and try to come to some sort of agreement after a lot of talks and a lot of confusion and weirdly getting sent across country last minute they came to some sort of understanding where they're comfortable enough that there are going to be changes in the federation that 21 of the 23 women did decide to stay in camp and play for the team this weekend two others said that you know they respect the progress but they still are not comfortable playing for the Spanish women at this time which is a terrible thing to have to say weeks after winning their first World Cup. Luckily, part of the agreement was that those two women would not be punished in any way for not wanting to play. So there's, there's still some stuff to go with that, but sounds like there's at least some sort of positives coming up. And then on the other end of the soccer spectrum, there's something that I'm sure both me and Diaz are interested in talking about. <laughs> You know, Diaz might have had a more interesting experience watching Newcastle not play well, but Newcastle their way to a point. Uh, but and- Arsenal destroyed PSV in their first Champions League game in over six years, and that was a really fun way to kind of get this season started after something that Arsenal fans have been really missing for a while. And the first goal had to be from Bukayo Saka, and it was just really fun experience. Hopefully that, that form carries over to the North London Derby this weekend because our first Champions League win in six years and a North London Derby win would be a really good week for Arsenal fans.
1: And Newcastle got a point, baby. And that's what's important here. That's exactly what we came there to do. We went to the San Siro. It was just to see when they do the lineup before, because like as you just heard the brief little sound there, the Champions League theme song plays before each game. And when they're doing the pan down, there's three players in Newcastle's lineup that are like born and raised Newcastle fans. And Dan Byrne had so much pride on his face. Sean Longstaff had so much pride on his face. But it was Jacob Murphy who had just the the other two, like it was like respecting the solemnness and the seriousness of the moment. And Jacob Murphy just had the biggest dumb, stupid fucking grin on his face like, are you kidding me? Like, I was playing with this team in the championship like five years ago, and now we're playing in the Champions League. Incredible ascension. And what annoyed me, so I I watched, I went to uh, Fado. It's a nice Irish pub in Center City, and I watched theirs. And they didn't have the sound going, like, you know, they had, like, Taylor Swift playing or something, which is fine, whatever. The, the moves were very different between the music and what I was watching and feeling. But what annoyed me was... This Man City fan came in because their game was right after. And, you know, like I'm not even playing Man City. And, you know, I'm I'm watching with uh, Mr. Medicinal, great friend of the podcast. And this Man City person is just generally unpleasant to both of us. Like, "Ah, you know, fuck you guys. Fuck your teams, your pieces of shit. And I'm like, hey, man, we're all just like American soccer fans here. I feel like American soccer fan is its own team. He is explicitly
0: creating conflict where no conflict exists.
1: The problem is,
0: as anyone who has
2: ever been on U.S. Soccer Twitter knows, U.S. Soccer Twitter is by far the most toxic sports fandom in the world. I don't know why, but it is absolutely horrible. Like, If you are an active poster on U.S. Soccer Twitter, you're probably a terrible person.
1: Unless you were posting the BJ Callahan for president memes, in which case you are either me or I am a fan of you.
0: You
2: are Um,
1: or
0: no Diaz.
1: Exactly. It's a very small circle. But no, what annoyed me was, you know, this guy comes in picking fights and then they put the sound on for the Man City game for him, which I didn't even know was an option. I hate it. I hate it. Um, I will say
2: one of my favorite things about soccer is soccer fans hatred for advanced analytics and actual playing of soccer, hatred of advanced analytics, because so the Arsenal game was four-nothing over PSV. The expected goals there was two point five three for Arsenal to 0. 0.55 for PSV. The Newcastle AC Milan game was 0-0. AC Milan's expected goals was 2.34. Newcastle was 0. 0.18. Like People love to hate expected goals, and the reason is, it feels like it's something that should show that things are not sustainable, but it just keeps happening anyway.
1: And let it be said, I think all .18 of that XG came on a 94th minute shot from Sean Longstaff, which very nearly went in and stole the game. I I mean, I, I would have deserved the comments that the Man City guy gave to me if Sean Longstaff had hit that in. But... Look, I've I've said it once. I've said it a million times. I have my own XG formula, actually. Do you guys want to hear it? I'm I'm ready to debut it. Go ahead. Yes. If the ball goes in between the goalposts, but under the crossbar from a touch that was legally made, I expect that to be a goal. (laughs) So far, for the history of soccer, it is 100% exact match. It is the most predictive analytic that there possibly is. And I'm so now, thrilled to, to share with you. To be
0: fair, we is. know some refs probably fucked some up back in the day. Of course. I mean, not even 20 years ago. Just like
2: three years ago, there was an Aston Villa game where the ball went in, but because of blocking, like too many people crowded in the line, the goal line technology that was supposed to be there to say ball go over line could not see where ball was, even though cameras show ball... Very much over line. And then there have been very famous incidents of ball goes side of net. Ref doesn't see, calls it a goal, does not review. That's one of the reasons the USA did not make the World Cup in 2018. Panama had a ball that went side of net, not inside. And Guy called it goal.
1: Listen, sometimes, as much as we love to honor Guy, sometimes Guy lie. Sometimes camera lies. Sometimes goal line technology lie. But ball don't. Ball has never lied. And yes, to your point, my XG metric is not 100% accurate, but I do argue it is the most predictive one that anybody's come up with yet.
0: I can't argue with that logic. You can't argue with the score, which is essentially what your XG boils down to. And I have to agree with that.
1: Look, I'm a simple man with simple tastes, but again, if you can't tell, I'm not a fan of analytics. What I'm a fan of is guys getting together and playing sports and just seeing what happens that's actually there's a group of guys that have been doing that that are making memories for me have either of you heard of las amazonas de yashuna
2: no nope.
1: well let me tell you about las amazonas de yashuna they are a softball team based in yashuna mexico and what's notable about uh, las amazonas is they all come from the same village They are the official team of the Yucatecan Mayan group, I guess, is how you would want to say that. They are the nation. If if we're
0: going, that's, that's the typical U.S. terminology, at least. So we can apply that to North America.
1: Yes. So they're the softball team. It is a community that had a high incidence of diabetes, different health issues. And basically they said, let's find a way to stay active. And they come together and they form this community team. What is especially notable about them is they play all of their games in the traditional huipil, uh, which is a traditional Mayan dress. And they have a kinship with one of the guys done dirtiest by the Baseball Hall of Fame, Shoeless Joe Jackson, in that they play completely barefoot. It's not just the outfielders, the infielders. The catcher does wear a mask. I give her that. She has some like smallest modicum of interest in her like personal safety but she's back there no chest protector no shin guards no cleats if a foul ball goes off your foot walk it off get back in the haunches they just this week had their first game on united states soil they played the university of phoenix valley falcons and they whooped some falcon ass (laughs) they won 22 to 3 while playing at chase field the home field of the arizona diamondbacks i'm not going to try to say the names of some of these players because it's going to be just really bad i had to practice i'm guessing there's a lot of x's there's well so i'm going to try lily chan sitlali jib berenice i they were noted for their excellence in hitting during that game but yeah a lot of very traditional mayan names which even me being a spanish speaker i don't stand the fucking chance with half of them but i would probably stand a slightly better chance than the falcons did because again 22 to 3 is just a straight ass kicking and we got to give it up we got to honor this team the the pictures are so cool i'm going to send an article in our chat right now so you both can see we'll post it on the discord as well i mean it's just they're just These traditional Mayan ladies who came here with bats in hand to hit the shit out of that ball, to catch the shit out of that ball. The ball don't lie. They don't lie. And they win. It's just one of the coolest things that I've seen in quite some time. It
0: begs the matchup of them versus the Oklahoma Sooners.
1: Yeah, like exactly. We've seen enough from the Oklahoma Sooners, but it's kind of like the soccer team. Do we say, are they using aluminum
0: bats or wooden bats?
1: They look aluminum.
0: Okay, yeah, that's what I wouldn't assume. I was like, we're not talking that hard-pressed for equipment or anything. They're choosing to play without shoes.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, all the more credit to them. Maybe that's the reason I didn't make the bigs. I was wearing shoes too much. If I would have just heated their methods, who knows what could have happened. But, no, it's awesome. All for these ladies and... I mean, who knows, like, they're the first team in the area. Does it beget a league? Does it beget even more interest in softball in Mexico? This could be our, oh, God, what do they call them? The Jamaican bobsled.
0: Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings.
1: Cool Runnings. This Members could be of our the Hall cool of
0: Guy, the Cool Runnings team.
1: Of course, of course. No, I'm, I, I, I blanked entirely there, so please forgive me, but I will not apologize for bringing up Las Amazonas, my new favorite softball team. Long may they reign.
0: Long may they reign. There is another entry onto the scene. I would like to inform you guys. This tickled me a little bit. Quick question. Do either of you happen to know off the top of your head the name of the manager for the Minnesota Twins? Former Tampa Bay Rays legend. Is it Rocco Rocco Baldelli? Baldelli. It is Rocco Baldelli. Yes, Rocco Baldelli, manager for the Minnesota Twins. We've said it many a time. We love commitment to the bit. So congratulations to the Baldelli family on their newborn twins, Nino and Enzo, Rocco Baldelli's incredibly Italian twins that he just had this week.
2: Those kids are going to grow up to be wrestlers with those names. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I got nothing more to say about that.
1: Shout out Rocco Baldelli for being the last sub that the Rays made in Game 5 of the 08 World Series, which Ah! the Phillies won. I nice. always remember that. I th- he came in to pinch run at second, I think, after the runner got there. Um, so theoretically, the tie in run of game five, but only in theory.
0: Thank you for your contribution to Philly's culture. But I don't want to talk too much about grand entrances. I want to take a moment to talk about grand exits. This next segment for any listeners of Baseball Barbie Cast will sound like plagiarism because I foolishly sent some of my research to them for a mailbag episode. No, I'm not, not foolishly. I was thrilled to be able to contribute this research to them, but it also made it onto their show. However, I think it's a good bit. So I do want to tell you for a bit about something that came up tour of Miguel Cabrera that's been going on this year. And I feel like hasn't really gotten a whole lot of play. Like the Tigers aren't, that much worse than the Cardinals were last year and I guess he's not like quite as exciting as holes. but I made a point to go to the Miguel Cabrera retirement tour earlier this year when he came to Baltimore he was vetted by fellow Venezuelan Anthony Santander and the celebration has continued in particular in Anaheim he got a surfboard from the Anaheim Angels which is ridiculous in and of itself Miguel Cabrera never going to surf just not going to happen but I was like, someone's gotten a surfboard before, right? And it turns out many someones have gotten surfboards before. So I'd like to ask you, before we go further, do you guys have a guess off the top of your head which team has given out the most retirement surfboards, I'm calling them?
1: San Diego. I'm going to go with the Giants.
0: Okay, okay, we're going to lock those two in. So retirement tours... The modern one kind of started with the Cal Ripken-Tony Gwynn season. I can't find any records of either of them getting surfboards. Cal just got different kinds of crabs in every city. Love that. But in 2012, this is the first retirement surfboard in baseball I could find. Chipper Jones gets one from the San Diego Padres. In 2013, Mariana Rivera gets one from the Oakland Athletics. And like Xavier, I know you said San Francisco. I'll go ahead and spoil it. This is the only one from the Bay Area. There's not I didn't like say San Francisco in Bay Area. I didn't. Say I'm that. sorry. I said San Diego. Diaz did. Diaz, you're quite wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is the only no, one from the Bay Area. I,
1: I shouldn't have applied logic to this. <laughs> it's probably it's probably like fucking Kansas City for some reason.
0: Rivera gets this one from Oakland during his one. The next year this is our third straight year, and this one technicality. Because Derek Jeter, from the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim gets a paddle board, which looks like a surfboard, except next to Derek Jeter it looks like a giant one because it's twice his height. I'm going to give the Angels, in my opinion, a half point for this. Then we take a year off, and in 2016, the San Diego Padres hand out two surfboards this year. Two surfboards, 2016, and he guesses as to who they're for.
2: 2016.
0: Yeah. There's one you should get. Takes the team to the playoffs. Great final season. Like goes out on a high note, knowing it's going to be the last one. Oh, Big Poppy? Big Pop. Yeah. David Ortiz gets one. The other one goes to Vin Scully. <laughs> Give a fucking surfboard to Vin Scully. And then last year, San Diego strikes again with two more, one each. For Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina, with the one this year that Miguel Cabrera receives, the final score: Oakland has handed out one, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim have handed out one and a half, San Diego Padres handed out five surfboards. I, I mentioned it. earlier that the chipper one was the first one in baseball, and this is almost exclusively, as far as I can find, a baseball phenomenon. You know, Haslam got his chair but there isn't quite the same gift-giving phenomenon. However, I did find one earlier example of a retirement surfboard during a particular basketball player's retirement tour. In 1989, here are some of the gifts this basketball player got. A silver Rolls-Royce, a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, a 24-foot sailboat, six different teams gave this player a large collection of rare jazz records. And then we also had, from the Los Angeles Clippers, a surfboard. The first example of a retirement surfboard I can find, 1989. Gentlemen?
1: I know. I'll let you guess if you want to try, Xavier.
2: Well, I was thinking, weren't the Clippers in San Diego at that point? Were they, st- were they the Los Angeles Clippers already, or were they still the San Diego Clippers? Uh, no, yeah, yeah, they left San Diego in 84. Okay, uh, there we go. 89. Magic, you're so very so close. Is it Lady the Bird?
1: No, no, so no. it's so magic was not diagnosed HIV positive 89. until 92. 89, you're thinking of the Ron Lakers legend Xavier. It's not big game James, it's not magic. It is the man who LeBron unseated for most points in NBA. Oh, history. dream. Okay, yeah.
0: the The thing that I didn't give you was that the 24 foot sailboat was nicknamed Captain Skyhook. That one would have given it away. <laughs> yeah, that one. It's would have very done. good, though. But retirement surfboards are making memories for me, as are emails about retirement surfboards making some of my favorite shows. All of that making beautiful memories for me. But of course, we are not just here about memories. We are here to remember guys from further back. And we're going to go ahead and take that help now from our featured guest this week. Let's go ahead and throw to that segment. Guys, Remember that guy. Ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else, our guest today, uh, very, we'll say multi-talented player, and you could take that to mean the fact that he's been professional fullback, but also in many other levels, operated in all three phases of the game, and that would be accurate, but there are certainly several other games beyond just football that this guy plays. Please welcome to the show our guest, Johnny Stanton.
3: Hello, thanks for having me, excited to be here.
1: We're excited to have you again, like as I said before we started recording, you are by far the most reputable athlete to join us. We had a D3 basketball player. I'm a pretty good shooter in pickup games, but <laughs> nobody that's ever actually been paid to play sports. This is
3: this is a, a thrill for us as well. Sorry, I thought I thought this was part of my take. My bad. I died I went on the wrong <laughs> show. Sorry. Uh no, I'm I'm excited to be on the show, guys. And uh I love your guys' idea for the show. I was just telling you, like, this is a super fun format. to get to reminisce about some some cool guys that we that we may have may have recently forgotten about and uh it's great to be able to just like bring back some recognition because our culture moves so quickly like the news cycle is just like a week long now and people forget about what happened two weeks ago so even just reminding everybody about like somebody who was like really big like five years ago maybe who has completely dropped out of there maybe 15 minutes of fame or whatever is uh i think really great
0: absolutely we, we appreciate the the praise there now to give a little more background on where you're coming from nowadays, we alluded there, you play a lot of things in addition to football, and many of those are uh passion of Xavier and minds. Tabletop role-playing games. I will admit yeah. that I first uh, became aware of you thanks to the Sports Illustrated article by Alex Pruitt. It came out in 2021, Role Players, talking about you and the Cleveland Browns locker room at the time, the game you guys had going on. And yeah. uh, I have since then followed you for that as much as the football. So uh, <laughs> it is exciting to also get to kind of, you know, talk with – someone that enjoys dice as much as two out of three of us do.
3: I appreciate it. It was uh, it was a really cool moment to be able to get into Sports Illustrated for the first time for playing Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) It was it was, uh, you know, fun to be able to, you know, I grew up reading Sports Illustrated and, you know, getting the Sports Illustrated for kids when I was in elementary school and to have the actual story come out in print in uh, Sports Illustrated for kids was a cool moment. Like the the, the awesome cover art for the story, which was uh, miles like fighting a dragon. And I'm Like, hey, can I get in contact with the artist who did that? And when I got in contact with them, I'm like, hey, can you redo this? Now, can you like not redo it, but just paint out Miles's number and, the skin tone <laughs> and just like make him white and give him number 40? And then I'm gonna put it on a, in a framed like the frame thing in my office because that's that's super cool. Just have like the sports illustrated and the dragon and me fighting him. Like, that's that's neat for me. I'm just a big nerd.
0: Well, so that's a question I had based on the article, as I understand, you came into like d and d uh, and that world like around college or so. but yeah, mm-hmm. you've been playing football at that point. Did you have other like either fantasy or that kind of creative slash dramatic outlet along with sports the whole time, or is that really like the first time you kind of no,
3: had no, that was definitely the first time I had something like that because I didn't have a creative outlet um you know, I, I got to take film class in, in high school for four years. That was my creative outlet. But then again, you're only making like three or four of these videos a year. You're spending the rest of the time doing pre-production or post-production on it. And this was a, finally an opportunity for me to be able to tell like some kind of serialized storytelling or long form and more like learn about it because you're really learning about it by consuming it. And I, I didn't even realize that there was a way to consume it until like months into playing it. When I, uh, I, w- I was big into comic books. That's the kind of the first like really nerdy thing that I did. And that was right at the end of high school, beginning of college. We'd just be a regular at my local comic book shop. And then I start kind of dabbling into the D&D side of things on YouTube and then realizing like, oh, this is actually like a major format after I started actually joining a group at my local comic shop. So that's when I found about it, the Adventure Zone and Critical Role and much later on, NADPOD, uh, like all these different crazy shows. I mentioned 20 that I've actually like, it's been amazing to me to be able to like build relationships with the people who are on the shows now, because I'm just as big of a fan as anybody else. So it really came at a time when I was injured. And, you know, I was trying to get back from from my knee injury. And it wasn't, you know, football wasn't going the way that I wanted to, I had just transferred from Nebraska and then a junior college. And now I'm at UNLV. And I, I didn't get to have the college football experience that I thought I was going to have. I thought I was going to come out of it, you know, winning a Heisman trophy and getting first round overall pick, you know, and it's just like everybody else does. And that's not the way it happens for 99% of the people. And for me, finding more of my identity, my, my, my self identity through just play and in role play and all these great avenues for finding out more about yourself and the people around you and how to empathize with them and how to, interact with them in a way that you might have not expected that you could uh, was really special for me to be able to find that creative outlet.
0: Well, I, I love to hear you talking about kind of the the ability to take a lot of those social and, and uh, interpersonal relationship skills from it. Did you manage to take like any other kind of gameplay foundations from that for your game?
3: Well, I I, I think I take more football into... D&D and TTRPGs. Then I take TTRPGs into football. I mean, it's kind of hard. One's been around a lot longer than the other. (laughs) Uh, And it's it's hard to change football. I think if anything, the best way I was able to change my game from TTRPGs was just branding myself and figuring out a way to actually be able to stand out. And that wasn't the reason why I became like very outspoken with me being a gamer, but uh, it helped, you know, but I definitely brought a lot of football into TTRPGs, um, specifically with obviously bringing my teammates into my games, talking to the media about it and social media, having a charity game two years ago, or yeah, a year and a half ago, uh, which raised $18,000, which was really cool. Got brought my teammates into there and a couple of D&D celebrities. And then just very recently, and I don't know when this is going to come out, but on September 22nd, I'm actually finally releasing my... Path of the Gridiron Barbarian subclass on my website, which will line up nicely with this really cool uh, YouTube channel that does, they build a character and then they build this short voice acted story around it with like some light animation, some cool character art. And I got to voice the character based on the Path of the Gridiron subclass. So that's going to come out along with a t-shirt that I built around the the subclass that Unite the Realm, uh, which is a really cool t-shirt company based out of the UK. So there's a lot of things kind of lining up here. Um, so if you're a and d player and like football, I think you're going to like the Path of the Gridiron subclass.
0: Yeah, this will have all come out the, I believe, Friday before this episode comes out. This is Monday. Okay. So yeah. folks, you can go find that right now.
3: com, D&D Backstory on YouTube, and dot uk think i got that url right you can find the website you can find pre-order t-shirt there
0: yeah as long as you keep the episode running while you do otherwise wait like 40 yes. minutes and then you can go look it up so i did have one final question about something that you hit on there a second ago how you've been able to like bring people from sports into this this gaming world and i'm just kind of curious have you been able to really make it go the other way we're talking about here we're trying to sit down in this format and just like talk and reminisce about like narratives that we enjoy, which doesn't feel that far off in some ways. And I wonder mm-hmm. if you use that as a bridge to like get some nerdier people that otherwise might not have considered the appeal of sports to, to come over to this dark side.
3: Oh yeah. I mean, just as unapproachable as D and and TTRPGs seems to people outside of that community, sports is very much that as well. I mean, if you try to sit down without any kind of you know prior context to what football is, and just learn about what the rules are in a book, you're not gonna understand it until you actually experience it or somebody's able to teach you through it. So that's something that I've been very aware of and wanting to, to help these communities kind of combine. So that's why I created this recent series called Athletics Check. If you're familiar with T&D, you know there's a skill check called an Athletics Check and I think it just matched up nicely with my brand. And it's basically a way for me to be able to teach nerds about football. And me to be able to teach jocks and fans and just athletes about D&D. So I'm kind of alternating episodes on my uh, Instagram and TikTok channel talking about, oh, this is what, you know, Jamal Williams might be if he was a D&D character. Or these are the kinds of stories that we tell in, in D&D and kind of related to how a campaign is like a career and every season is like an arc of a story and just breaking it down like that. Uh, It's, it's exciting for me to be able to do it. I will, I will say that the analogies are often tenuous. It's not perfect analogs, but uh, I'm doing my best to be able to make sure they line up as best as possible. And hopefully there's some other growth there with athletics check to, to see just how many people we can combine in these two different, you know, worlds of huge fandom.
2: I mean, I have a lot of questions, but I don't want to take up too much time. Have you guys you, are the ones I, editing this. You can ask, sure, did, right? Have you finished Baldur's Gate 3 yet?
3: I just finished Act 2. Okay, it's we're so long. kind of in I've the same like, spot then. I've spent like 80 or 80 to 100 hours probably. And wow. just about half, half another 40 hours, 30 hours maybe just playing with my wife because she's gotten obsessed with it. And, you know, I can only play Baldur's Gate on my own because I don't want to spoil it for her because I'm a whole act ahead of her. So anytime she, like, we're together... And she she wants to play it. You know, she'll play her tiefling rogue and go through all the, the storylines and ask me, What do I do here? I'm like, I can't tell you this is a role playing <laughs> game. You get to make these decisions it's like, but I don't want to screw it up. I'm like, I understand that you're not going to screw anything up. You have you just hit save right before this. You're going to be OK. <laughs> what character did you end up making for that? Uh, I played a dragonborn ranger. Um, Ooh, that's a so, good combination. Yeah, I've never played a ranger before, actually, in a, in a campaign and. This is a little bit of a, a character concept that I've been playing around with, and obviously, there's you don't get to instill your own lore and backstory into your character, but it's kind of it's fun to at least get used to the mechanical stuff, uh, so you understand what you can do once once you do start playing it. I love that. I
2: I saw your tweet about Carlac, and I was like, <laughs> oh, phenomenal! I, this is this is fantastic, and I also Carlac's my, my favorite for sure. She's great, but. I haven't really played with her that much just because of the way I had set my team up. But as as a character, I think she's awesome. But I I definitely want, you know,
3: more Astarion to be around me. And I haven't met Minsk yet. I know he's a ranger, so obviously I won't be able to use him too much in my party. But but yeah, Carlack fits in just nicely with my party of uh, Shadowheart (laughs) and Gale, which I feel like is kind of the basis, like the basic party. Um, with mean, your Tav yeah, but Shadow Shadowheart you
2: know. Shadowheart's a great character. Um, oh yeah, uh, I think they set it up for everyone to have Shadowheart in their party, just a- a- as the cleric. But oh, yeah. I was also reading your um, week two takeaways on the blog, and I saw you. You called the Detroit offensive coordinator Jensen Ackles.
3: But I, did, I, did I spell it wrong? Did I?
2: No, no. I I mean, his, his name is Ben Johnson. But he oh, looks you know like what Benson it was? Axles, the, oh, my the, the God. Super, I am mean, Supernatural. so embarrassing.
3: I, the reason why I had that in my head was because I had to figure out. Like, I was asking my buddy who is helping me get into sports writing. Oh, that's so embarrassing. It's been out a week now. <laughs> I said, I thought it was hey, just a fun reference to, to Supernatural. Oh, so, I, think, yeah, I think you're fine. Pretend I never said... How many? How many people listen to this? Because people are going to be. I'm going to be so embarrassed.
0: Not not enough. (laughs) This will be a problem. I promise that much. Uh,
3: I'm going to be. I'm going to be. No, no, no. It's fine. I'm going to change it before uh, before anybody else sees it. Um, No. no, What happened was I asked my buddy, who like he's the one who helped me decide to start doing some sports writing, and I was trying to find anywhere. Is it? Oh God, I'm blanking on names now because I'm all screwed up. The uh, the Detroit head coach. Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell, thank you. I was trying to remember if Dan Campbell or Ben Johnson was the uh, was the play caller because obviously, ob- obviously, oftentimes head coaches have taken that role. And he said, "No, Ben Johnson has the uh, the play calling role." And then he said the Ackles' name. whose name? I'm um, J- Jansen Ackles. And that's where I must have just like I must have been tired trying to finish this column and just grabbed the name from. Uh, oh my god, <laughs> from the, t- the the text thread and yeah. By the time but this they, is out, they you look won't be able to see that. They, they
2: look very similar. I I will say that. I just thought it was a joke he made and just and,
3: completely screwed me up. Yeah, yeah And, and I was only something. bringing
2: it up because you know I'm I'm running a monster of the week campaign, so nice. I saw that and I was like, oh, that's a funny joke reference. was <laughs> a funny joke.
0: <laughs> and for anyone oh, who ever saw it, they'll think that.
3: If they even paid attention, I probably only had like five people read this thing. <laughs> but thank you for bringing that to my attention.
0: Well, speaking of things being brought to the attention of others, this guy Bunel stands before you with the understanding that you have a guy to bring before us.
3: I do. I do have a guy to bring for you. It was, it was a hard decision because it's such a wide open, like ask. It's like, hey, brings bring somebody to the table that you think people want to hear about, and you know, on the surface, that's like a really easy thing. Like I, I asked my buddies, I'm like, hey. Who do I bring? Like, you know, what do I what do I talk about here? And this person did not come up. It was somebody that I just I I hadn't thought about him in a while. And I definitely had a lot of fun reminiscing. This is somebody that I have had uh, a lot of previous experience with uh, who hasn't been in the news lately for a few years. I mentioned to you guys before the call, this is college football related. I also asked if I'd be allowed to say expletives. On the show, because I think you cannot separate this man and curse words. Uh, (laughs) The guy that I'm coming to the guy with today is former college football head coach Bo Pellini. Uh, I do not know. (laughs) I don't know how familiar you guys are with Bo. Bo was my first college head coach when I was at the University of Nebraska. Do I let you guys like respond to this and like see what your guys' response? Like I want to hear what you guys like, think about Bo. My
1: my first thought is I feel like when I think of the Bo Pelini era, I think of the fact that there was somehow a Martinez that was at quarterback like the entire time. Like for a decade, it felt like. It was yeah. just always yeah. Martinez's starting quarterback.
3: It's close. I, I, without, I, I want to let the rest of you guys respond. For So when I was a freshman there, Taylor Martinez, who was I think the first Martinez to go there, was in his senior year. And my hope was that I was going to you know, take over for him my, my redshirt freshman year. But that's not obviously what happened. But Taylor was there. His little brother, Drake Martinez, was in my recruiting class. He played safety. He ended up transferring to Michigan State after his freshman year. And then there was another Martinez who played at quarterback a few years after Taylor was done a few years after I I graduated or maybe like my senior year or something. So yes, it seemed like it, Martinez was under center for like the whole time and you're not totally wrong. It's like, and this was the, Mar- the, the second Martinez quarterback came after Bo was gone actually.
1: Right. It, it's just, it was like Martinez quarterback for Nebraska. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a Plumley at center for Duke. Like yep. so those two families I felt like had
3: strangleholds. Yeah. Um no it's the it's the Vanderbilts and the uh the Rockefellers of the right. College Football World.
1: Exactly.
0: Well, and the fact that one follows after just before we even get into it, that's clearly a strong legacy that Bo's been able to build oh, yeah. and carries on following him. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll just say as the uh, the most college football agnostic of the three of us, I'm fully aware of who Bo Pelini is, and he's exclusively for the reason that you checked with us ahead of time. So I'm excited <laughs> to learn more, but like, I do know that he's an excellent character.
3: Yes, character is the key word there for sure.
2: When when you first said his name, I was trying to put the timeline together because I was like, "Wait a second, I Thought I swear I thought Bo was at Youngstown by by then. So I was like trying to like rack my brain for the timeline. But I, I'm I'm very yeah. excited to hear more about Bo Pelini, especially from someone who actually knew him. So yeah,
3: <laughs> and I, I hesitate to say that I played for him because I did not play much in Nebraska. But yeah, Bo was who recruited me to Lincoln. He was actually at Youngstown State when I was in Cleveland. Uh, I never made it out to Youngstown. I haven't spoken to Bo since I graduated or since I actually transferred away. I will preface this by saying I really enjoyed playing for Bo. Uh, I really enjoyed being on his team. He is 100% a players coach. Uh, Anybody who played for him would say that. Anybody who he worked for or coached against him would also say that because he was Fuck everyone else. We're just we're, we're gonna keep it in house. Uh, I'm gonna protect my players. He's always trying to take the blame onto himself. So yeah, I, I will I will say up top, no matter what stories I tell, and I will not tell every single thing. Um, <laughs> he is uh, a character to some a controversial coach, but just a a legendary guy who I have the utmost respect for. So should I just like start from the beginning for him? Like read his Wikipedia page? That's, we we, we mean, like to start, we with, start with like some facts up reasons. front. Sure, I, I sure, always sure.
1: usually start like, this is the birthday. This is where he's born. <laughs> okay. X amount of brothers sisters, but. <laughs> All
3: right. Well, I didn't think about his birthday, but he was born <laughs> December 13th, 1967. He's 55 years old. Bo is one of those guys who college football is like in his bones. At the very least football is. His older brother is Carl Pelini who also coached at Nebraska and at Youngstown State with them and at other locations. I think the the thing about Bo is that he is a competitor to his very core. He is someone who cannot turn off his competitive nature, which can get him in trouble, and I guarantee he'd be the first person to tell you that. So I met Bo when he was in his fourth year or so at University of Nebraska as their head coach. He got brought in, hired by Tom Osborne, legendary college football coach. Nebraska has a, a an incredible tradition of college football, especially in their coaching. In the 90s, they won multiple national championships. And I don't think Lincoln, Nebraska has evolved past the 90s because of that <laughs> very moment. I, I think, you know, it's kind of like in your own lifetime, you know, you kind of end up Keeping the same identity and personality as you did when you peaked, whether that's some people who peaked in high school or some people who you know was in their late twenties or whatever, you kind of carry that self identity over, you know, past that point. And I really think that that's Lincoln. Lincoln is an incredible place, but in a lot of ways, it is still in '97 or whenever the last time they won national championship was.
0: They're, they're um, still just talking about Darren Erstad. They just cannot. Oh yeah.
3: Darren Erstat, <laughs> yeah. No. It's it's more like Tommy Frazier and a couch and all these different guys who you know they're one of their main recruiting tools at Nebraska is you go into the stadium and this Memorial Stadium is legendary. It's huge, ninety thousand plus when it's full, which it has been for the last like nearly four hundred games. They have the longest sellout streak in college football history you walk into this entrance and there's this like glass waterfall in the front. It's a very nice intro. You see all like the awards on the side. And then you turn left towards the actual facility in the weight room and the locker room. And there's this door on the left that slides open. It's completely different from the rest of the building. It looks super futuristic and like kind of weird in that way. And you walk in and you see like this light show starts. Uh, Like this is one of the first things you do when you show up to the stadium it's going around and then it it tells like this five to 10 minute video about the Heisman trophy winners for Nebraska. And they, they have the, the trophies themselves in these like rotating shelves that like are flush with the wall. So they'll play this video for like Tommy Frazier. And uh, at the very end of the video, it'll like zoom in the lights wall zoom in on the height, like on this, sh- like cutout from the wall. And it'll rotate kind of like, you know, haunted mansion style. Uh, It feels very Disney
0: park. It's
3: very, very is. Yeah. And then you see the Heisman trophy and all the lights on there and it swivels back around. You get the next story. So Nebraska is like, it's college football is legendary there. The, The Cornhuskers are, you know, celebrities within Lincoln. So enter Bo Pelini. He is an old school coach. He is fiery to put it lightly. He is a defensive minded head coach. So, right when you kind of get that vibe, you know that he's going to be getting on you. Like offensive coaches are usually a little bit more cerebral, not to say that he's not, but a little bit more soft-spoken and thoughtful because, you know, you're an offensive play caller. You need to be thinking about like two steps ahead where Bo is like just a fiery guy. He's, he's there to motivate you. He is there to, to get angry at you and then to let you, that emotion flow through you into violence on the football field. So, yeah, he recruited me when I was coming out of high school. I graduated in 2013 from Santa Margarita Catholic here in Southern California. And it was after my my junior year winning the state championship here in California, and I started getting a little bit of recruitment. And that was foreign to me. I didn't know what to expect. And then that summer, I decided to start doing a bunch of traveling to different schools doing camps and among them being Nebraska. And there was one of the schools that I got recruited by. And I decided that summer to commit to the team. I didn't have that much relationship with, with Bo at that point. It was mostly with the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach. And I remember one of my first memories of Bo is the home visit. You know, the home visit is kind of a legendary milestone when it comes to football recruiting. And you only get one of them, at least I think the head coach can only visit once the position coach can maybe visit multiple times. But there is, you know, at least when I was in college, there was a limited amount of contact that you could have when I was in high school. And I remember very clearly, I had torn my ACL my senior year of high school, and I was out after five games, it was, it was a bummer, but Nebraska was like holding to my scholarship. And Bo came, the offensive coordinator came. We're all sitting around the dining room table. We're kind of just chatting. It's really not, it's not an opportunity really to recruit. Cause at that point I was already committed, but there were kind of conversation between the coaches and my parents and just kind of getting to know each other. And I was already communicating with other guys in my recruitment class and guys who were linebacker, receiver, running back. We're all in like group texts or Snapchat threads or whatever. And I thought, Oh, let me, let me sneak a picture of Bo when he's talking to my parents. So I have my phone kind of flat on the table, and I like kind of slowly raise it to turn on the camera and to press the button, like really sneakily. And Sure enough, the flash is on. <laughs> one of the most, I immediately slam my phone down on the, ta- on the table. And I'm like, I think all of us at the table are going to pretend that that didn't just happen. <laughs> so nobody made any kind of mention of it. And my face super red. We're just going to continue down this line of conversation that I cannot remember at all. But that was like one of my first interactions with Bo. Oh, man, I I went very quickly away from his actual facts. But I'll give a a really quick just rundown of his career. The the, the highlights are started in his NFL uh, coaching career as a DB coach for the 49ers, moved on to linebacker coach for the Patriots and the Green Bay Packers. And then that's when he started at Nebraska as a defensive coordinator at 2003, became the interim head coach, ended up taking a job over at Oklahoma, then was very uh, notably at LSU as the defensive coordinator for a few years of very high quality teams. And then for a six year, seven year stretch, he was at Nebraska as their head coach, 2008 to 2014. Um, During that time, I'm going to try to find his actual record. I apologize, I should have had this ready. The main highlight is that he had a very good record while at Nebraska. He was extremely notable for having several nine-win seasons in a row, like five or six nine-win seasons in a row. College football, you play 12 games. You would think that is a great season. But the Nebraska faithful are very demanding, and when you don't show progress and production and improvement on that nine wins people start to get antsy
0: Xavier has this smile on his face and I feel like it's the. I need to let you
3: guys talk more I feel like I'm just No, no 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 just
0: I can see him realizing that like this is very similar to a franchise he's familiar with that has like a couple World Series or uh, championships back in the 90s and now no, no, it, an it, it's it's incredibly exacting not standard and never allows for just enjoying a nine-win season.
2: No, it, it's not that. It's not that. It's just that I think about Pliny was so solid, but solid wasn't good enough for Nebraska yeah. at that point. And since they got rid of him, it's been... It's a different world. Like they, they would pray for a nine-win season at this point with... The stuff that happened under Mike Riley and then Scott Frost. And you two know mm-hmm. that I love that rule. And I've met him multiple times. I think he's a fantastic person. I hope he does well there. But hasn't started off too great so oh, far. So, cool. I mean, I, the days of Bo Pelini, they're looking on it a little, uh, yeah, you yearn for a little more
3: rosily now than, than, oh, than for it sure. was. And it was so interesting because there was such a dichotomy between... The way that the fans and the media saw him, and the way that people inside the building saw him, and that uh, that oftentimes happened is it's you know, there. Bo's not the first, nor will he be the last player's coach that people demanded more of. But there were just so many, and the main reason why I I wanted to bring him up was because there are just so many stories that surround him in and around the time that I was in Lincoln, and I was only there for two and a half years, but. Boy, was it a roller coaster. <laughs> um, he ends up getting fired after my redshirt freshman season, uh, which was another nine win season, I believe. Gonna check really quick. But they began the season ranked 22 and they finished nine and three, ranked 25th, and he got fired. There, I mean, there was a new athletic director and there was a lot of things that were going on, but. <laughs> I will say on his Wikipedia page, if you'll look, there's our, uh, there is a category that just says controversies. And there are three <laughs> subcategories underneath that. <laughs> and I will run through them. Not all of them happened while I was there. One of them did. As I said, he was incredibly criticized by the media and the fans while he was there because he wasn't particularly friendly to them. The the Nebraska fans are are pretty uh, well known for their hospitality, Midwestern hospitality, you know, and to be able to prepare for this, I was listening to um, Bustin' with the Boys podcast uh, because it's not, it's not like one of my normal listens, but Will Compton, who I didn't cross over with in Nebraska, had Pelini on a couple of years ago. And I just wanted to listen to their conversation and to see like what they talked about, see if it kind of brought back anything and, just hearing him talk about how people weren't... I think he would have gotten fired earlier from Nebraska if it wasn't for the nine-win seasons because he was successful despite not necessarily having the, the most amount of support in Lincoln. So yeah, I uh, the first thing, and this is before I get there, the underneath controversies, the first thing is the first audio tape leak. And I remember a lot about this. This was following a home loss to UCLA in 2013. Oh, wait, wait, I was here. Oh my gosh. This was, I'm trying to remember that a lot of things coming back to me. There's something else. There's something that wasn't mentioned here. Um, Oh, that's, this is what it was. Okay. So following a home game loss to UCLA on September 14th, 2013, and shortly after responding to criticism from former Nebraska football player, Tommy Frazier about the loss, a two-year-old audio tape, that's what it was. It was the fact that the audio tape was old, but it didn't come out until I w- it was my freshman year. One of the first games of the season when I, when I show up at Nebraska uh, was a p- anonymously leaked to Deadspin. And it, it was timed perfectly. It was a loss to UCLA. It was a big game. This was, I think, my, the second game of my freshman year. And the stadium was packed. This was actually right after uh, UCLA lost one of their players to a car crash. Uh, Nick Mm -hmm. Pasquale he I played against him in high school a really great guy really great player Uh, so it was a big win for UCLA to be able to come into our house and beat us and there was a ton of criticism following it so the recording was made following Nebraska's come from behind win against Ohio State in 2011 when it was reported that almost all of the students and more than half of the stadium left while Nebraska was down at half 27-6 but the Huskers won 34-27 marking it one of the biggest comebacks in school history. It was the biggest comeback in school history. And Polini couldn't have been more mad about the fact that all the fans left. I don't think a lot of college football head coaches would make it that big of a deal. But this is what Polini had to say. And again, I apologize. These are Pelini's words, not mine. Polini said, our crowd, put a punch of fucking fair weather fucking. They can all kiss my ass out the fucking door. Because the day is fucking coming now. We'll see what they can do when I'm fucking gone. I'm so fucking pissed off.
2: History (laughs) would prove him
3: right. (laughs) History would (laughs) prove him right. Shortly after the tape was released, Polini apologized. I take full responsibility for these comments. Blah, blah, blah. They were spoken in a private room following the Ohio State game. Somebody secretly recorded that in a media room. I don't know why he was saying it in front of any kind of media. But that... Uh, he basically says, "I again apologize to anyone who I have offended." Uh, when you when you criticize the Nebraska faithful, they're not going to like look kindly to that. It so, is funny though,
1: yeah. like how right he's proven. Like Xavier points out, like mm-hmm. the the visualization I have in my head is like the meme where um, the the heretics are telling Jesus to shut up, and they hated him
3: because he told the truth. Yes. <laughs> Bo Polini went a few profanities. He did yeah. speak some truths there, it turns out. It's the it's the Eric Andre meme of like, you hate me because I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Does Eric Andre shoot Hannibal Burris? Uh, or <laughs> Nebraska fans shoot Bo Polini and ask why they suddenly no longer have any
3: wins. <laughs> yeah. Why, why, why have you done this to us? Um, all right. So that was, I mean, the whole tumult of his career all happened in a, a short two and a half years while I was there in this time so if this was on field conduct I don't even remember this being as big of a deal as it was I remember thinking kind of downplaying it in my head the second controversy before which or after which I will tell a couple of my own personal stories from my time there on-field conduct, Pelini's behavior was again called into question during Nebraska's nationally televised loss to the Iowa Hawkeyes at the end of the 2013 regular season. Again, it just at the end of my freshman year. At halftime, the coach snapped uh, at ESPN on ABC reporter Quint Kessinich when asked about a pair of Cornhusker turnovers, responding with, what kind of question is that? Later, in disagreement with a call made on the field, Pelini swung his hat within inches of an official's face, drawing a 15-yard penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct, Kalini remained defiant in the post-game press conference, referring to his personal foul call as chicken shit and declaring, if they want to fire me, go ahead. I don't apologize for anything I've done. Kalini subsequently apologized for his behavior after the Iowa game. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Love a good Wikipedia article.
3: It's really good. I love
0: when an editor clearly had a tiny bit of fun.
3: Yes. Um, This was at his time in Youngstown, which I was not uh, obviously there for. During the 2015-November 14th game against North Coast State Bison, in the fourth quarter, Pelini engaged in the referees in several heated arguments for penalties they called during two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties on Pelini. He was reprimanded by the Missouri Valley Football Conference for his on-field conduct. Uh, so, yeah, you could say he's, he gets into heated arguments. He is very, very passionate and knows that uh, he deserves a modicum more respect than he has given, <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah, so in my time at Nebraska, Bo was probably, and this was even before the word meme was like super popular, but he was the most meme worthy head coach in college football. Um, I hadn't thought about bringing this up. There was a Twitter account that to this day seems to be still active. Yeah, still active, uh, has 609,000 followers on Twitter called Faux Polini. The Twitter header and profile picture are of a photoshopped image of, I will say this, Bo Pellini does not smile for camera. <laughs> and the picture of him on the Faux Pellini site is a picture of him. It is a blank stare with mouth slightly open, looking straight down the barrel of the camera. It has been photoshopped onto a man who did a Christmas photo shoot headshot with a cat. Um, it's very funny. Like if you've, if anybody's seen this, it's, it's hilarious. Um, Fopalini was pretty legendary in my time in Nebraska. Every Friday before the game, he would come out with some sort of like meme images that he would put together between players and coaches. And all of it was like parody. And by the time you read 10 of them, you realize that every one, every one of these people like have their own characters. Uh, my offensive coordinator at UNLV was, uh, the offensive line coach in Nebraska, Barney Cotton. And he would be a character within this cartoon, this like little cartoon spread that he had. And it became a very funny just among the, uh, the fans (laughs) and like the players. I mean, like we would, we would talk about the different stuff that Folklini is talking. It's just, it it paints Bo as kind of belligerent and Mm -hmm. not as smart as he is, Uh, which it's parody, obviously and i and he does have a sense of humor about it he would never complain about it openly to us i'm sure it got on his nerves a little bit but i think he did have a sense of humor about it well i he, i know he had a sense of humor about it because in the 2014 spring game my first spring game at nebraska cuz i joined 2013 summer and i don't know how much you guys know about the college football season but You, you have your season and then during the winter and early spring, you give the tight guys some time off. Mostly you're, you're lifting, you're doing some on field speed work, but then you get some time in the spring to be able to practice again and get your offense installed and it all culminates with a spring game for the fans. And most, most college football programs don't have the same kind of show. Like Nebraska fans show out for the spring game and nearly sell out the stadium. Nebraska has a legendary locker room underneath the stadium, partially, to come out of the tunnel. They call it the tunnel walk. It's to the 1990s Chicago Bulls intro music. And, you know, you walk out, you're high-fiving fans and stuff. I was was just going to
0: say, they repeated the same intro for the volleyball team, did they not, recently?
3: I'm sure they did. Yeah, I'm sure they did. They did. did. I
0: believe they got the Chicago Bulls music treatment as well. I know they got the full walkout. I think they got the exact same music.
3: As they should. I mean, the volleyball team is is dominant. Um, so, in the twenty fourteen spring game, the tunnel walk happens, and the whole time there is a camera person walking backwards to be able to you know get the front. Usually, the captains are up front out there, and Bo walks out carrying a cat in in his arms <laughs> as a homage to Faux Polini. And when he gets to uh, the entrance of the field he holds it up Simba style <laughs> for the whole fans <laughs> the crowd is going nuts that's how big Polini was at that time it's, he's obviously huge still but there's just a legendary picture I pro- like look it up Bo Pelini holding up a cat on a football field it's so funny and I got to be part of that moment I'm just so proud of that like it shows like he has a great sense of humor and I, I'll tell another, the only other story that I have that's like, just not like a, didn't go public or anything like that. This was just something that happened in the locker room. So this is 2013 season, I believe. So before my freshman year, guys were getting caught with their cell phones in meetings and you, you can have your cell phone on you. You're not encouraged to have your cell phone on you, but it, just don't, you know, have it on silent. Don't be looking at it. You know, it's the same rules for for meetings today and stuff. You you just you're not supposed to have your your phone in football meetings. And when your phone goes off in a team meeting and it's like a text chime or a phone call, obviously people are going to it's going to be embarrassing. Coaches are going to get on you. So I think there were a couple moments uh, where guys got caught. Coach Bo says guys don't have your phones keep them in your locker you don't need them you have your ipads you can write notes just like look at your phone later so this is coming up to the later part of training camp um i wish i could remember his name but i, I can't right now i think he was a senior with the team all the seniors sit front row it's always it's a it's an honor to be able to in the in the team room which was beautiful wood walls and all the chairs are great all the seniors in the front row. And Bo starts talking about uh, today's second practice. You know, we, this is still the, during the days of 2 days And he's talking about second practice and what we're trying to get done. All the, Everybody's kind of in their gear to get lined up for practice. And very shortly into that meeting, I want to say his name's Kevin. Kevin's, you hear a, a phone go off uh, <laughs> in the front row. And everybody's like, ugh. Like everybody knows what's coming. He's going to blow up. Shit rolls downhill. He's going to get pissed. He's going to get pissed off at us at practice. It's just going to be a... Crappy practice, and Poe like kind of puts his hand, hands on his hips for a moment, looks down, says, "Give me your phone." Like, what? No, I, I'm. He's a senior. He's like kind of being rebellious. He's like I'm not giving you my phone. It's like give me your phone. It's like no. Give me the phone. He holds it up, takes it out of his hand, goes to the podium, takes out a hammer. <laughs> and everyone's like what's going on he takes out a full on hammer
2: mm.
3: places the phone on the ground and smashes it three times with the head of the hammer and everybody's like holy shit he just he lost his damn mind <laughs> Like I'm thinking like who's going to pay for this phone he's like this isn't just like going to be okay like what's going on and Kevin is like screw this I am out Like this is absolute bullshit walks out of the team room and Bo is kind of like gawking there too. It's like, you did not just walk out on me. He says, I'll be right back to the team. He says, I'll be right back. And storms out of the room following his, Hey Kevin slams the door behind him. And then all you hear is you hear the door like slamming in on itself and like somebody bumping into it. And everyone's like, Oh my God, they're fighting. They're like in a full on, like punching match or like they're wrestling or something right now. And the coaches are like, stay, stay seated. Everybody like everybody's standing up. What do we do? Do we go stop? Everyone wants to go watch. (laughs) Yes. Everyone wants to watch or stop them or something. All the coaches are like, stay, stay, stay seated. We'll get this figured out. And suddenly while everybody's at their heightened moment, the overhead screen turns on and says, gotcha. Let's go to the movies. (laughs) And and it was somebody's like old phone that they had called to be able to start this whole thing. And instead of having our second practice, we went to the movie theater that night as a team to get a break from from fall camp. And I just remember, this dude is crazy. (laughs) Like the amount of stuff that he will do just to pull a fast one on us is wild. Like I don't know whose idea that was, but it was, so perfectly executed. So that's my favorite story coming out of Nebraska. Do, and do I don't you know, know if it's one that many people know. Oh man, we saw so many movies because we would just, whenever we have a game every Saturday before we go to the hotel, we end up having um like a movie night. We go to the the local movie theater. We saw a ton of good ones. We saw um Prisoners with um Hugh Jackman oh, the, one time. Yeah,
0: Denny V Wave
3: yeah 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 um oh man we saw the equalizer one time I can't remember a lot of them but uh they're all pretty good I remember them being a pretty high hit rate uh I don't remember what movie that one was but yeah that was that was a great moment and we didn't end up having a moment like that before the 2014 season I was I was always waiting like when are we gonna have that that practice cancelled so we can go to the movies and it didn't come it was like the worst (laughs) feeling
1: (laughs) I, what what i appreciate about that is the self-awareness that he needs to be able to pull off that joke because he needs to know like oh they think i would do this they oh, think yeah. i would
3: smash the shit out of this phone i mean the crazy part for me is like why does he even have a hammer at his podium like why does he like of <laughs> course he's just been waiting for this moment
0: <laughs> when you said he lost his mind like this is clearly premeditated he clearly came <laughs> ready to <laughs> smash someone's phone
3: oh in the like the- lore that was created in that minute long like storyline he it was very clear that that was going to happen to the next person whose phone went off in a team meeting and he was could not wait to bring out the hammer it was so perfectly executed that i'm just happy to have been there for that moment um to bring to bring down the the mood just a little bit i will talk about the second audio tape leak and that's the last thing i will talk about for Bo. Again, he's a hothead, as you know, like he and he's self-aware as a hothead. Um, this was th- this was a very interesting time at Nebraska. Um obviously, we could kind of feel the fact that he was gonna get fired soon. We had a new a d. He did not like him. And he had a team meeting. I think this was right after he got fired, brings us into the team room and talks to us and basically says, "Hey, I love you guys." you know, whatever they got going on here. Like, don't listen to what they have to say. Like, I, you guys know me. Basically, just trying to defend himself among, amongst the players. Because obviously, it was very obvious to us that, like, the player's idea of him and the, the reputation that he has solely among the players was what, what was important to him. He didn't care about what anybody else thought except for his players and coaching staff. So he talked to us. And, you know, just the way that Bo is, he was going to get a little bit fiery towards other people outside of the room. So, uh, there was somebody, I don't, we, to this day, I don't think anybody knows who it was. I've heard so many allegations, but I don't think that's necessarily any of them were true. Somebody recorded it similar to post Ohio state game with the comeback. Somebody recorded it on their cell phone and released it to somebody. And that went public. However, that was not the second audio tape leak. (laughs) That that was not the second audio tape leak. That, That was technically the second one. There was a third one. That's the third one's the one that got put on Wikipedia. After that all went public and like they're, they were like, Bo, you cannot be on school premises anymore talking to the team. They're not your, they're not your players. So the chief of staff for his, his coaching staff, I think like a week or two later, before we had a new head coach, like nothing was really going on in the program. This is right after the season. He gives everybody a text or at least has the players kind of gather everybody together through text threads saying, hey, Bo is going to talk to us, but we have to go to – an off-site high school campus. I don't know how he got this location, but we went to an auditorium for a high school that was like on the east side of Lincoln. And I remember thinking it was so weird. We, I think I'd, I got a ride there with one of my teammates. And when I get there, everybody else is already in the auditorium. They're kind of just waiting for us. You see the chief of staff and Bo is up on like the stage uh, for this auditorium. And we all just we find our seat and it was just his opportunity to, to vent more to us, you know, the, the guys that he knows and loves in the locker room and spent so much time with. And what was so disappointing for him was the fact that he, and I apologize if anybody who knows the story better than I do, who remembers more clearly than I do, because I am pretty sure this was in response to an audio leak, but he took the opportunity basically to just rag Badly on everybody who is, again, outside of the room. And that's what the second audio tape leak is. Following his firing in, on November 30th of 2014, Pelini met with his former team at a local high school in, in December 2nd. I don't know why local high school has a hyperlink. It's Lincoln North Star High School. That's why. <laughs> it's a, there's a, there's a uh, Wikipedia uh, page there. On December 2nd, leaked audio of the meeting revealed that the coach verbally attacked the University of Nebraska administration. At one point, Polini said, again, it's not my words. It was a surprise to me. No, it wasn't a surprise to me. It really wasn't. I didn't have any relationship with the AD. The guy, you guys saw him. He's a total pussy. I mean, he is. He's a total, and I won't say this one, C word. After the leak, Nebraska administration released a statement saying, if these comments were indeed spoken by Mr. Polini, we are extremely disappointed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Youngstown State who had already hired Polini said, Coach Polini's remarks are reported as inappropriate and unfortunate. We have discussed the report with Coach. We are confident that Coach will conduct himself accordingly moving forward all that stuff. So, somebody had for a second time not even a second time, a third time, but a second time for one of the players recorded one of his private talks to us and released it. And that was just like the least of what was said, to be honest. Like there was, he took it out on everybody. In retrospect, possibly rightfully so. I don't know. I'm not going to judge that. But that was an explosive end to Coach Bo Pelini's time at Nebraska. His, oh, here's his record. In his time as the Nebraska head coach, yeah, he didn't have a, a, a season under nine wins during his time in Nebraska. He went nine and four, 10 and four, 10 and four, nine and four, 10 and four, nine and four, nine and three. Um, obviously, the extra game being a bowl game. Finished his time in Nebraska, sixty-seven and twenty-seven. His in-conference schedule, he was thirty-nine and seventeen, and that's what got him fired. So I mean,
1: that's the legacy
3: of Bo Pelini.
1: It's especially a thing that I think is unique to this generation, where because I feel like in the sixties and seventies, if you're cranking out nine-win seasons and you're graduating all your kids.
3: In the 60s and 70s you didn't have tape recorders to follow along <laughs> that also, that also. with your head coach. Well, only
0: specifically tape recorders and they're a little too chunky I feel like to hide in the locker room.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you didn't have it on everybody's device that so they kept on them at all times. So, since then he, you know, coached Youngstown State for a couple years, he moved on to defensive coordinator at LSU for a couple years, 2020, a tough season. Following Joe Burrows leaving and his coach O's last season there. Um, but yeah, uh, he is not a coach right now. During that interview that I just listened to, he thinks that, you know, maybe his next stop would be in the NFL, which he has the, you know, the credibility to do so. But he is a absolute, like, legendary character of college football. a Great coach. But the stories around him are unmatched.
0: Well, I think all of that was a great story and much like USA characters are welcome here. I, (laughs) the, the thing that jumps out to me immediately is like a nine win coach that feels like a guy, someone that consistently can (laughs) give you nine wins. You're, you're starting at a very good point there without any intangibles because nowadays you probably don't make the college football playoff with that you are still probably going to consistently make a bowl. It's but he was consistently
3: like those games where they played 14 games was because mm-hmm. they were in a conference championship game. Yeah. Right. Like Conference championship you, and bowl game. So then the 13th and 14th game,
0: just the right mixture of success and failure to be a notable guy. You can't, yeah. can't be hitting all the high notes.
1: Right. To appear in the conference championship four times, but not quite conquer that last hill. To yeah. win the Big Ten championship. We we always love those like close but just not quite there. Because if they got I mean, there, I, they'd have I, I'll elevated to guy.
3: Exactly. I feel like I understood the premise of a guy isn't top of the pyramid, top of the mountain. It's the guy who barely didn't make it. And he's he's a guy.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. it is a nebulous term. There is a certain Genesei guy, but if it's a champion. Um, gadget Jones is the one that's down the bench with the with the Bulls,
1: right? Yeah, so we Looking had on one guy. Theme. He he was Hakeem Olajuwon's backup that was signed three days before the playoffs started. So he won a championship, but because of the fact that he's just the backup to Hakeem, everybody kind of forgot about him. Still can retain that guy status. So it is different levels of ability as they correlate with different levels of team success. It's kind of like that. It's a moving scale.
3: Yeah. So I, I bring oh, Bo Pelini to the God. guy, Punal.
2: I mean, just what Johnny said, you know, when he, he was starting. is someone who people thought about a lot, and then no one has really thought about in five years. I was like, yeah, we did, especially on, like, the kind of heyday of Twitter, the 2013 to 2017 range. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there was a lot of talk about Bo Pelini all the time. He was always something else coming up, and then just... Like have not thought of him in like five years, and yeah, and he got I to LSU at like the the
3: perfectly the wrong cat. time. Mm-hmm. He, he got just because it was right after they won the national championship. Takes over the DC job, and then they just take a, a big downward spiral that next season. And since then, he hasn't had a job, and probably through his own like decision. I think that he is absolutely worthy of being at the very least a head coach in the in D one.
0: Well, sure. I, the first he, time he, he was at, was he at LSU? Yeah, he's, uh, whole, whole he is times. there for yeah. the championship the first time. He does win the 2007 one. That was what I wanted to check.
3: Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm shocked by how young he is because... I know, I, f- I forget that he was 55.
2: Because Frank Solik, it was still coaching until like two years ago, and he's 79. So I think Frank Solik's head coaching career ended after Bo Pelini's head coaching career did, despite being 25 years older than him. I just assumed that Bo Pelini was in his mid to late sixties at this point. Mm-hmm. He could still come back. He could Oh, still absolutely. Come
3: back. We haven't well, heard I the think... last of Bo Pelini.
1: Right, like he—he's at the point where he can be discerning in where he wants to land next. Like the, you don't just jump at the first offer just because it's there. You wait for the right one. Right.
0: Someone's gonna look to him the way that baseball teams look to Buck Walter, like. He can fix us. He's been waiting in the rafters <laughs> for a while. He can come over here and fix us. But speaking of timing, you, uh, Johnny and Xavier, now have both said things that I think really kind of sum up something I like about Bopolini. He is everything that's happening, is happening very much at the right moment. Like he is coming of a time when a Twitter parody account of a coach like can exist in the first place because Twitter has any of that cultural cachet and is not like slowly dying at that point at the same time like he is existing in time when phone recordings can be made of meetings and that's not possible prior to then and Mm -hmm. as you said maybe without that he's got a much longer time in Nebraska Mm -hmm. if people just can't hear what is said uh to you all
3: it's yeah and and I think it's what's so interesting is I don't know how many characters there have been around college football there are there's always like one or two people surrounding college football that kind of take up all of the space in the room. I, I haven't followed college football in, like really closely in a long time. I feel like the last time we really had one of those was Joe Burrow at LSU. And just like the amount of presence that he had with, along with coach Orgeron. And I think I put Bo in that, in that same category of just like, you are always going to be talking about him when he's at his like high point. Like it, there was a long period there that there was just something was always going on. And there I don't know how many, like how often we've had somebody like that in college football.
2: Dion,
3: what, what now, do th- Bo Pelini, yeah, Dion Sanders that. can
2: run. Yeah,
1: that's yeah. The, uh I was going to say, Bo Pelini to me feels like the defensive coordinator's answer to Mike Leach. Like they're two sides of sure. the same coin.
3: Ooh. I would, man, rest in peace, Coach Leach. I've had a bunch of buddies who played for him and the stories that they have, I was honestly considering coming with Mike Leach, but I felt like his story wasn't mine to tell because I know so many people who could tell incredible stories of him. And and for the yeah, record, to have that
0: one covered. He is actually a guy emeritus.
3: Oh, perfect. Perfect. I'm glad that I didn't come, <laughs> come to the guy funeral <laughs> with somebody who was already taken. <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, would have paid a lot of money for a hard knocks type show where Bo Plain is the defensive coordinator, Mike uh, Leach is the head coach or offensive coordinator.
1: If those two are running each unit, the team's either going 12 and 0 or 0-12. Like there's yeah. no there's no middle ground with that team. Either, either it's a perfect synergy or it's just big too personalities. Much at once.
3: Right. Very different people, from what I understand. Right, or- exactly. Yeah, it's it's the
1: defensive coordinator's response to the hard-nosed versus the eccentric creativity. <laughs>
3: yes. Eccentric is a word for it.
0: and uh diaz something that i just realized if you haven't already been put over the edge i think i I am in agreement but if you're not going for bo because of his multiple stints at lsu would also continue your tiger streak from last week
1: that's very true it's very true you can stay now on brand
0: with the tigers
1: tigres uh, from the mexican soccer league yes tigres del lice yeah i mean i think Xavier, if if I don't speak too hastily, I do think this guy Bunal is in agreement. College football is the sport that it is, the institution that it is, because of the pageantry and the personalities that surround it. And what's really important is to have a leader in a locker room that is not just going to drill home fundamentals, but he's also going to be self-aware enough to smash a phone as a prank and realize that that's going to go over pretty well, to lean into his Twitter personality, to create some controversies, but at the same time, ultimately say some truths. I think these are all qualities befitting of a guy, and it is our duty to acknowledge that and to welcome our first defensive court not our first defensive coordinator, but I think the defensive coordinator that we're most proud to welcome, certainly at this time. Uh, into our Hall of Guy, Bo Pellini. Welcome to the Hall of Guy.
0: Welcome beyond the new.
1: Round of applause for Bo. But we do have one more honorific that we have to give out. Now, Johnny, as we said, you are by far the most reputable athlete to ever join us and humor us with some stories. Um, he you get some
3: more reputable athletes than me. Re-
0: <laughs> I, it is not for lack of trying. <laughs>
1: Hopefully, hopefully it's the watershed moment and one, one thing that we say about a lot of guys, is they open doors for other guys. We hope that you're going to open the door uh, for more athletes to join us. But we do know that you're going to be the first athlete to join us to be inducted into our hall because if there's anything that screams football guy, it's a quarterback that reinvents himself as a fullback and then manages to score a touchdown on that pass from Case Keenum in the NFL.
3: Thank you. Um, we didn't so yeah. get into that. So people are probably confused why, that, why <laughs> that got brought up, but yeah, I used to play quarterback, but thank you.
1: Right. Um, and I get before, before I do the official induction, I, I did want to ask you about that earlier. It just didn't quite fit in. When you make that transition to becoming sort of the Swiss army knife, how does that conversation go? Is that something that it was your idea originally? Did a coach come to you and say, this is how
3: you can get on the field. How did that go? Well, bold of you to think that there was a conversation. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I knew that quarterback wasn't going to be my future in the uh, in the NFL, considering my college career was nothing to write home about. But I knew that I could, I could hopefully razzle dazzle some people with my athleticism. So at pro day 2018. Uh, after my uh, Redshirt senior season, which I only played a couple of games in only three of them, a quarterback, two of them, a linebacker, two of them, a special teams. I'm like, okay, why don't I just kind of dive into that adaptability and take, take reps at quarterback, tight end, linebacker and long snapper. So you know, on a hot late spring day in Las Vegas, that was pretty tiring. And I got an opportunity to try out for the Vikings because they they liked enough of what they saw but it was at tight end so they're hoping that i could learn enough about tight end with <laughs> like a couple weeks or a couple days really within rookie minicamp which i'd never played before so uh i i do well enough to the point where obviously they end up taking me on over you know the course of that next day they're like hey we're gonna get you doctor's appointments okay you made the team amazing uh, we're going to ship you back home. I need to graduate still from UNLV, so they need to send me back to Las Vegas. And I'm at the airport with one of the other guys who made the team. There were four of us who who made the team out by tryout, which meant four guys had to get cut. So they're making that announcement on their Twitter account, and you know I'm getting a whole bunch of responses, and I hadn't I hadn't told really anybody besides my family. And I was looking forward to seeing that Twitter post, and then finally it comes, and it says all the guys, their number, the position they're playing. And then it gets to Johnny Stan, number 48 fullback. I'm like, that's a surprise. Uh, (laughs) I did not hear about that before. Um, So I guess I need to learn how to play in another position. (laughs) Uh, Obviously that's the one that stuck, but yeah, no, since then I've head first into it, absolutely taking on the mantle of, of a fullback and, you know, make fullbacks great again. I don't know if you guys follow the Twitter account, but you got to lead the charge to uh, to get fullbacks in the 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 world of the NFL again.
0: Pat Ricard is excellent. I'm. Oh yeah, I Ricard.
2: love Kyle Juice Ush- yeah, Ush- check. So yeah, you dude, know. we've had
0: we've had Ricard, Yuzcheck, Ush- and Leach. I think in an unbroken Until chain Leach, yeah. at this point for like a decade. Nice.
3: Oh yeah. yeah. There
0: there is exactly one city that deeply, deeply, deeply appreciates fullbacks.
3: That's <laughs> no, true. Yeah, I, I uh, who knows what the, if, if there's any future for me in the NFL, uh, I hope that there is. I hope it's at fullback. I'm doing a lot of work at long snapping. Hopefully there's something for me at long snapper. But even if uh, my football career is done, I'm really happy with what I've done and uh, you won't hear the last of me, hopefully.
1: Well, of course, because as, as you could, do you want to plug it one more time? Uh, coming out, yeah. This sure. out
3: Friday. Yeah. I've at, um, the path of the, uh, path of the gridiron barbarian subclass. If you're a D and D fan, even if you're not, uh, go check out D and D backstories, recent video or most, most recent video, uh, Alwyn heartbreaker. Holthrop is the character that I voiced and alongside it, we are re-releasing my path of the gridiron barbarian t-shirt in a different colorway. So go check out unite or realm.com or.co.uk. To check out that shirt. And then uh yeah, check out my website if you want to play the subclass and follow me on social media to so be able to check in with Athletics Check, where if you're a nerd, you get to learn about sports. If you're a jock, you get to learn about nerdy shit. So
0: And while we don't necessarily have the hugest audience, we do have one that largely fits the Venn diagram of that.
3: I love that. <laughs> love it. Um, there are dozens of us.
1: <laughs> there are dozens. And and um, I don't
3: I don't think I officially
1: said it, so just to punctuate it. The Please, fourth yeah. of his name, but the first into our hall. Welcome
3: to the Hall of Guy. Thank you. I really uh, appreciate that.
0: No, thank you so much, dude. We really, uh, we appreciate you coming on. We do also have some others to thank, of course. We've got producer Craig and all the coders behind it. Our musical director, Don Ham for our lovely theme music. And you, dear listener, much like Johnny has all of his stuff collected at those various sites, we too have all of our stuff collected in one place, which is bit.ly slash remember that guy all one word all lowercase we got the guys of the day we got the discord we're on blue sky now because twitter is slowly failing its death throes but um so yeah feel free to check all that out share it around anything else from the from any the three of you on our way out
3: no thank you
1: for having me guys the pleasure is ours absolutely
0: the pleasure has indeed ours and during this time i have been james i've been the very special guest xavier
3: I am the paragon of truth, Johnny Stanton the IV. fourth.
1: I've been Diaz, and as Coach Taylor says in Friday Night Lights, clear guys, full backs, can't lose. <laughs>